Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. Our guest is Dr. Susan Main, professor of epidemiology and division head of chronic disease epidemiology at the Yale School of Public Health. She also serves at Yale as the Associate Director of the Yale Comprehensive Cancer Center. Dr. Main, one of the leading nutrition experts in the country, has served on a variety of important panels and committees, including the Food and Nutrition Board of the National Academy of Sciences and the Board of Scientific Counselors for the National Cancer Institute. Susan, happy to have you here. Thank you for inviting me. Let's talk about nutrition and cancer. This is an area where you're especially expert and have done some, some path-breaking work. Um, how long has it been known that there might be a relationship between dietary intake and risk for cancer? The, the link between diet and cancer has been hypothesized for well over 100 years. And it's interesting, if you go back to some of the early writings, people would, would hypothesize, speculate that particular diets could reduce the risk of cancer. And so that had been suggested for a long time. In somewhere around the early 1900s to about the 1930s window, people started doing experiments with animal models. These are usually kind of rat studies. And they tried different diets and, and looked to see, could they influence tumor development in animal models by changing diet? And at that point, it was very clear that you could completely alter uh, the appearance of tumors, how quickly they came on, and how many tumors animals developed by just changing the dietary uh, situation that these animals were, were in, in. So you know, it's been recognized for decades that diet isn't an important determinant of cancer risk. What's been harder to unravel and identify, and that's where the work has been over the last 50 years, is what precise factors in diet, you know, specific nutrients, specific constituents, is diet helping, is it harming, what are the good things, what are the bad things, and how do we best advise the public? So that's where the work has really been concentrating for the last more recent time. So I've heard you make the important point that we, can, we can't necessarily equate nutrients and foods. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah, so in, in terms of the animal models, uh, largely the animal studies give uh, controlled diets, and they're controlling everything about those diets. So they're not using a food-based approach in those animal studies. They might be modulating nutrient levels or fat levels or energy levels and things like that. But to translate that into a human setting where people actually eat foods is a little bit more complicated. So that has led to some of the challenges in researching human diets and how that relates to risk of cancer because people don't eat carefully controlled diets as you'd see in the animal model setting. So people are eating actual foods. Now, is, is it uh, you made the case when I was talking to you before we began that some studies that actually look at food versus nutrients find some surprising things. Yeah, so we know that many of the constituents of foods can impact on carcinogenesis, the process of developing cancer, and that had been shown in animal models. And there was a, a push for many years to try to identify what are those active factors? What is it in broccoli that seems to account for that effect? What is it in a tomato that seems to account for a benefit in an animal model? And so we had this kind of reductionist approach where we tried to identify the kind of the miracle compound of the week. And many of them may be familiar to the listeners, things like lycopene or you know, th those types of compounds that are found in foods and could inhibit tumors in animal models. 
What became really interesting is when people started looking at the complexity of foods, um, some studies were done, including in animal models, where you would give lycopene, what we thought was the bioactive compound in tomatoes, to animals, and it inhibits cancer. But if you use tomato powder, which contains a lot more than just lycopene, but has the same amount of lycopene as was used in the other example, you find much greater effects. And so what we're increasingly starting to recognize is that foods contain lots of different substances, especially fruits and vegetables, that may impact on cancer risk. And that by simply taking a reductionist approach, we may be missing a lot of the value that comes in a food. Let me ask you if you, if you wouldn't mind about one particular um, controversial topic, and that's the role of dietary fat and risk for breast cancer. I know that the uh, Women's Health Initiative, which was a major trial undertaken by the National Institute of Health, set out to study exactly w that issue and whether there was a link or not. Where does, where does the science on that stand at the moment? Yeah, so when the he Women's Health Initiative was started, um, it was actually many years ago, and the goal was to look at whether or not a low-fat diet could reduce the risk of cancer and more specifically breast cancer. Um, at that point in time, I think the scientists did not fully appreciate that fat is not fat. And so what, you know, so the intervention is targeting something like dietary fat, but now we recognize we've got monounsaturates, polyunsaturates, saturates, and we've got omega-3s and omega-6s and omega-9s, and they all have different effects. Some good, some bad. Some good, some bad. And so at the, at the end of the Women's Health Initiative, they saw a lower breast cancer rate in the women that had lower fat diets, but it wasn't statistically significant. It was almost statistically significant. But what the animal data more clearly indicate is that the type of fat is really critical. So many of us would have designed a somewhat different intervention had we had the opportunity to do so in the Women's Health Initiative. But there you're juggling the science versus what's practical. So I think where we are today is that this message that low-fat diets are, are healthy has been moderated to some extent. And now what we're recognizing is that certain fats are really pretty healthy. And these are things like monounsaturated fats. Nuts, for example, are a really rich source of, of fat, but they've also been linked to health benefits in numerous chronic diseases. Same thing with many of the fish oils. Fish oils are widely being studied, not just for cancer prevention, but for cardiovascular disease, heart disease prevention, and many other health effects as well. So kind of the old notion that fat is bad has kind of been thrown out the window. So from a cancer point of view, and which is consistent with uh, reducing risk of many chronic diseases, I, I think that's a naive point of view. And I think we're moving away from a nutrient-based approach and say, let's look at the foods that are providing that fat and how do those foods relate to disease risk. This might be a, a too broad a question to be asking, but is there any way of knowing what's more important in cancer prevention, the presence of good things in the diet or the absence of bad ones? That's a really tough question, and researchers have tried to sort that out. And again, I think what we're increasingly recognizing is certain constituents of the diet are good, and I think there's little debate about fruits and vegetables being valuable for cancer prevention, and certain constituents of the diet seem to be more harmful, and the one that has been most consistently linked with that is red meat, which has been convincingly linked to an increased risk of colorectal cancers. 
But where that gets tricky is to sort out the interactions. And what more recent research indicates is that you know, the, the really worst diets are those that are really high in red meat and really low in fruits and vegetables. And people don't eat foods in isolation. People eat dietary patterns. So a lot of the studies that we're doing today are trying to take that more carefully into account. So rather than even looking at individual foods or food groups, we look at the patterns of what people eat and how that relates to disease risk. And that's helping to inform some of our most recent dietary guidance on nutrition and cancer prevention. Now, you mentioned before this reductionistic approach, and I imagine that's partly responsible for the huge, huge business that is selling dietary supplements. What, do you, what are your thoughts about that? And are these things likely to be helpful or not? Are they oversold? Are they way out ahead of the science? Where do we stand with that? Yeah, so we had this reductionist approach, and it was it was believed that many nutrients uh, in isolation, one you know given by themselves, could really prevent cancer, and that did come from some of the animal work, which shows that if you simply give you know one nutrient in isolation, you can inhibit certain tumors from forming in animals, but that was put to test in human studies, which mu with much more complex diets and you know real world situations. And to date, there have been many supplement-based cancer prevention trials that have been completed, trials involving vitamin E, vitamin C, selenium, beta-carotene, folate, calcium, vitamin D. All of these nutrients have been studied in supplementation trials. At this point in time, the data are really unimpressive. Um, there is no consistent benefit from nutrient supplements for cancer prevention. And in fact, what some of the studies indicate is while some subgroups may actually be helped by these nutrient supplements in terms of lowering their risk for cancer, other subgroups may actually be harmed in terms of increasing your risk for cancer. So as, as a result of the complexities and the lack of clear evidence of benefit, uh, recently, the World Cancer Research Fund uh, recommended nutrient supplements, you know, said that the recommendation is they are not recommended for cancer prevention. And if people want to hedge their bets and reduce their risk of cancer, a food-based approach is really the way to go. So it sounds like the kind of dietary advice that we'd be hearing anyway, more fruits and vegetables, less meat, is the way to go. That's what the data seems to indicate with regard to cancer prevention. And, you know, there are some cancers where the effects are stronger and weaker than others, but there isn't any particular cancer, per se, that we see, you know, that one particular food group is increasing the risk where it's reducing the risk of other cancers. So the consistency of the data across different cancers and across different chronic diseases is really reassuring that the types of diets that are being recommended for cancer prevention are likely to be beneficial for reducing the risk of many other chronic diseases as well. Heart disease, obesity, diabetes, all those things. Exactly. Good. Well, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you. So our guest today, Dr. Susan Main, Professor of Epidemiology and Division Head of Chronic Disease Epidemiology at the Yale School of Public Health. Please visit our website, www.yalerudcenter.org, for a variety of resources, including a list of other excellent visitors to the Rudd Center who have recorded podcasts with us. Thank you.